0: episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast, we have Sabia Prescott. Um, She recently published a piece in The Advocate called Why We Are Still Failing LGBTQ Students. Um, We're going to link to that because it is full of wisdom for educators to uh, discuss. Ms. Prescott is the Senior Program Associate with the Education Policy Program out of New America. So she's going to talk to us a little bit about the context in which she works and have, uh, again, a- amazing advice for those of us who are working to make our classrooms a little more LGBTQ inclusive this year. I think this sort of environment for doing um LGBT inclusion inclusion work um depends really heavily on the state and the district and the school <laughs> and the teacher taking it on and the students in their classrooms. Um I suppose it's it's sort of dependent like that a lot of places, but um the US has a lot of um sort of precarious, not a lot, has some precarious federal policies um, that were sort of set in motion by the Obama administration um, and have since been overturned by the current administration. Um, And then there are four states now that have passed inclusive curriculum um, state mandates who are sort of now in the stages of figuring out what it is that inclusion um, looks like and what does it sound like and what does it feel like and how do we know it's a success. Um, And then beyond sort of where their policies and laws set in place. um, There's a lot of individual educators, um, individual schools, individual sort of ad hoc committees in schools who saw a need and and wanted to take this on um, sort of making parallel attempts at doing this. Um, And so Talking about it honestly and sort of highlighting these things is pretty low hanging fruit. <laughs> um, there's a lot of it going on. Not a lot of folks talking about it yet, even though um, sort of my sense of it is that a lot of folks do want to be more connected around this and, and sort of share resources and ideas and best practices. So um, that's that's where I see sort of the field and and the country at um, at the moment. And so I think there's a lot of a lot of room for action and discussion. And I, I like that you, you point out in one of your pieces that, you know, we're kind of past that point of needing resources. We have the resources. It's just the resources aren't necessarily making their way to teachers who need them. Um, and then you talk about, you know, teachers who might not be queer themselves, struggling or feeling a little bit uncomfortable, uh, you know, even if they are in a state where now it's going to be part of the curriculum, they have that uncertainty in how to deliver it. Uh, and so I'm wondering, in what ways are you sort of seeing that present? Uh, are the topics just being ignored? And is that resistance from the teachers, is it their own personal discomfort? Or are they, they still juggling um, concerns about parent or administrative reactions? Yeah, so first I want to uh, address what I think is an important nuance here, which is that it's not necessarily that we've reached sort of this crucial number of resources that exist. And now, you know, we're good (laughs) necessarily. Um, I don't think we're ever going to reach that point. I think of course there are always more, there's always more material that we could have and use and, and could be available to teachers. Um, what I, what I think is important to note is that sort of our, our collective effort around addressing this issue has been to create student facing materials and, um, and curricular content and so little effort has been put towards creating resources for teachers to help teach them that, to help, excuse me, to help teach students that content um, or prepare them even to to talk about um, queer identities in the classroom or to engage students around it or um, just to use inclusive language sort of more broadly. Um, and so that's really the, that's where I've sort of focused in on this work. Um, because like you said, there, the, there are resources that exist out there, but, um, for, for what I see as a number of reasons, they're not getting into the hands of teachers. Um, and even when they do, which I think is an important point here, um, just because teachers have that content, um, doesn't mean that they will know what to do with it necessarily, or be comfortable talking about it. So, um, I think th- my evidence for that, anecdotally, um, is at least, uh, you know, has come from a fair amount of conversations with, um, with, with educators and with some school administrators, with parents even, um, who, who want to advocate for this in their schools but don't really know how um, across, you know, in the U.S., across geographical regions, different grade levels, different subjects. Um, And I'd say a majority of them do really want to engage and support queer students. But like I said, don't know where to begin. Um, I I think also a piece of this is for educators who aren't queer themselves, like you said, um, being afraid of saying the wrong thing, right? Or being perceived as someone who's trying but not quite getting it right. So I um, I think that's sort of... Fear of of misstepping can prevent folks sometimes from even beginning to engage with us at all. Yeah, that absolutely resonates with with my experience working overseas. I, I feel like I, I countless number of times someone has said to me like, "I just don't want to say the wrong thing." You know, they're they're afraid of even if they are uh, quite progressive, they they don't want to say something and then feel like um, they've outed themselves <laughs> as being heterosexist. So I'm wondering. For that teacher who is saying, you know, I just don't want to say the wrong thing. What advice might you have for them? Don't let perfect be the enemy of good. You have to start mm-hmm. somewhere, right? Um, which is not to say don't do any, you know, don't do any work on the back end of your educating yourself about this, and and just go in and say whatever you feel like. Um, but but don't don't be so hung up on the exact language. Um, that, you know, that it prevents you from even having a conversation in the first place with students or other teachers or whoever it is. Um, and, you know, I, I think through my work, it's become very obvious that students are on the front lines of this. They, they know what language they want to describe themselves with. Um, they know whether or not they need language to describe themselves with, whether or not they need labels, whether or not, um, you know, it's okay to use certain things or whether or not certain terms reflect our, our current understanding of queer identities. Um, and so I guess my advice for, for educators would be not to, not to be afraid to learn from students. Um, they're, they're there and they spend a lot of time, they have the internet now, so they <laughs> they have a lot of um, time and space to, to um, sort of figure this stuff out if the, the teachers that they spend the majority of their day with provide them that time and space. And so I think it's, it's also not sort of um, the responsibility of teachers to help guide students through this, um, what is a really personal journey, but rather to, to sort of pave that way for them. You, I'm so happy to see you also writing about how important it is that we have sort of an anti-racist queer inclusivity um, on on the front burner. And can you you just say a little bit more about that and explain if a a classroom, if a teacher is sort of, you know, continuing to take that lens uh, with them, what might we hear in an ideal conversation? So if we're talking about anti-racist queer inclusivity, what are we talking about? Yeah, absolutely. Um, again, back to material since I spend so much time there. Um, one, of the, one of the obvious things that I noticed when I first started looking into this, um, into student-facing materials, especially um, uh, young adult literature and, and textbooks even, was that um, many of these books feature stories uh, with white gay male protagonists um, specifically. And if if we think there are so few books about queer characters, Um, There are really so few books where the protagonist has more than one marginalized identity, right? Um, And I think most people would agree that this doesn't really reflect the community um, as a whole, nor does it paint an accurate picture for kids learning uh, about what it means to be queer, right? There isn't isn't only one way, even though the current sort of landscape of kids' books (laughs) might have you believe that. Um, But more than that, even, I think there's a real danger in teaching this sort of single story narrative where whiteness and queerness are equated. Um, And again, a lot of folks I've talked to who are wanting to lead this charge in their schools are white. And I think a lot of them are aware of this sort of need to to um, focus on both of these things and that um, that that not all queer students are (laughs) are the same. Right. Come from the same background, look the same, talk the same have the same needs um, and, and I think can appreciate the need for this sort of intersectional approach. Um, but again, don't really know where to start. And I think it comes to a conversation around what teachers and administrators um, need to do internally and, um, and personally before they sort of engage this work with students and with teachers. Um, I I personally I'd like to see an interrogation of, of personal identity and sort of the ways in which folks leading this charge in schools um, for, for one marginalized group maybe simultaneously benefiting from a system that places privilege on them in other ways, right? Um, and this is of course a pretty heavy topic to dive into with adults, never mind with students, um, but I think any attempt to do this sort of occlusion work that doesn't recognize these sort of parallel systems of identity and privilege isn't going to do much good. As a queer educator myself, I've not always felt super supported by my administration. I, I've been at a, a few different schools, and you know, varying degrees of uh, comfort in terms of you know, can I mention my wife? Can I have a picture of my wife at my desk? All those kinds of things. Um, And I'm wondering what recommendations you might have for school leaders who are listening to this and are wondering, like, what can I do to make sure that uh, members of my community who are queer feel more like an asset and not like a vulnerability? Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing is making sure that teachers know that they'll still have a job if they choose to be out, right? (laughs) Or if they talk about queer identities or people in the classroom. Um, there are six states in the U.S. where it's illegal to talk about this in the classroom, um, still in 2019. And I, I think one, a lot of folks don't know that who maybe don't live in those states or who do live in those states. Um, and so that just even pretty basic safety and job security is a, is a big concern. Um, I think beyond that, you know, reallocating time and resources to preparing teachers, queer and not queer, to be uh, more comfortable discussing identity and these sort of structural challenges that we're talking about um faced by folks with a lot of privileges is key. Um you asked about funding, right? I think it's I think it's clear in budgets more than anywhere else where priorities lie and if the school's resources are all allocated to preparing teachers to engage and teach about subjects from only a straight white lens, um, not only as economic students, but teachers as well. And I think a lot of these things contribute to um to what school climate is like for teachers especially, which is not something we talk about as much as school time, school climate for students, um, especially Christians. Um, but I think all these sort of challenges that we're talking about can can result in, in what can be anywhere from an uncomfortable to an outright hostile environment for queer teachers. Um, and disrupting this, I think will take a real effort by school leaders um, and a real investment in learning themselves and understanding, um, you know, the perspectives and positions of queer teachers, but also modeling this type of professional environment where this kind of learning is normalized and and encouraged, not just safe. If there's a teacher who is listening to this and they're thinking like, okay, you know, I I need the the kick in the butt a little bit. I want to start thinking about um, queer inclusion and what I can do as an educator, what would you, th- just three resources that you would recommend, it can be a podcast, a book, or a TV show, a movie, anything that you think is is really kind of eye-opening and thought-provoking. Yeah, I am glad you asked this question because I've spent a lot of time over the past year, year and a half, um, talking to folks and compiling a list of resources, even though I will say, too, I, I feel like everything I've read has has a resource list in the back. And, um, sometimes it's sort of similar iterations of the same thing, but, um, sometimes it's not. And I think that's part of the challenge too, is that, um, there are, at once we feel like there are no resources for this and there are too many, um, somehow. <laughs> right. And all the ones that's not true. Many of the ones that exist do feel like slightly different versions of the same thing. And I think it could be hard for teachers to know what, to trust what, (laughs) what is, you know, um, the best information for them or for their classroom. Um, but as far as books go, um, I did mention, um, safe is not enough. Michael Sadowski's book in this, which I think just really hits the nail on the head, um, in saying that we can't just, you know, put up rainbow safe space stickers in school and assume that students are going to feel safe or, um, trust us, you know, Um, Feel safe talking about themselves with us. I think that's, um, I think that's true. And he makes a lot of recommendations in that book um, about sort of what the next steps are and also frames it really well in, um, in the context of sort of where we've come in this movement of better supporting queer students in schools, which has been going on a, a lot longer than most people think. I, I think it's in, in headlines a lot more now, but, um, but it's not a brand new thing. I will say another book that I, um, refer back to a lot. is called Reading the Rainbow. Um, It's a book specifically on um, queer inclusion in early and elementary education. Um, The authors, two last names are Ryan and Herman Wilmarth. I don't have their first names off the top of my head, but um, two researchers here based in the U.S. And um, that is a really great just sort of how-to guide for engaging queer students and also has a lot of really great resources in the back. Um, One of my other favorite books is called how girls achieve um, by sally nuama and it's not specifically about queer inclusion but i think there are a lot of parallels um, that she draws between how we engage girls in school and how it's not enough um again it's it's not enough to simply carve a space for them in in a system that wasn't designed for them in the first place we have to sort of actively actively teach unteach excuse me untired stereotypes and um and prepare them with the skills to sort of navigate a world that relies on their lack of those skills. Um, and she articulates all of that much better than I just did, but that, that is another one of my, um, my favorite books. Beyond that, there are a lot of te- um, free teaching resources out there, Glisten, the um, gay, lesbian, straight education network, um, another organization called gender spectrum and, um, teaching tolerance. All of those are us based, but, um, all of them do have free resources online that I think are pretty useful. Great. And you've also created some excellent resources as well. So I'm going to link to those in our show notes. Um, do you want to tell us something that we should watch out for that you are working on that's going to be coming out sometime in the next few months? Sure. In uh, late October, I've got a report, paper report in depth. we <laughs> am not really sure what to call it. Um, we work at a think tank, so it could be anything. Um, Uh, project of sorts coming out um, around specifically around um, queer inclusive teacher professional learning um, and specifically uh, focusing on how open licensing might be a useful tool in creating and scaling that. Um, So that will be out in October 22nd, I believe Um, it'll be online. I'm happy to share, happy to share links and and everything that if anyone happens to be in DC, we'll also have a a sort of public facing event and conversation around that as well. Um, So looking forward to that. I think it's, it's, um, it has a lot of parallels between, between this conversation and a lot of what I've been thinking about. So that should be exciting. Another thanks to Sabia Prescott for giving up some of her very precious time and coming on the Be a Better Ally podcast. The resources that she just mentioned are in our show notes, and I have also linked some of the amazing work that Ms. Prescott has done. So do be sure to check that out, share it with colleagues. Um, I, I think her work is starting lots of much-needed Overdue conversations for educators everywhere.